0: Hello, salam. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: The UN Climate COP is coming to the region. What difference do you think it's going to make for outcomes here?
1: We have to remember that the region hosted the Climate Summit earlier, actually, in the decade. I think the first one was in uh, Doha, Qatar in in, uh, 2012. The second one was last year in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. And now we have the summit coming up to Dubai, UAE this year. Uh, So, beyond the region's relevance and representation, COP28 in the Middle East really inspires action and educational exchange. A few thoughts come to mind when I speak about this. Uh, So, for one, we are a large fossil fuel producer, and hosting COP28 uh, here emphasizes the region's significance in the global energy transition and the possible move to renewable energy. Second is the fact that the Middle East is equally impacted, just like most regions around the world by the climate change. And so things like increasing temperature, water shortages, uh, desertification uh, as examples. So hosting a conference here highlights these difficulties. Uh, And then last but not least, uh, the fact that many of our uh, Middle Eastern economies are diversifying and shifting away from oil and gas. Hosting COP28 may hopefully support closer exchange on green technologies, sustainable infrastructure, and other endeavors as well.
0: So in that context, what do you hope will be real outcomes coming from COP28?
1: So based on the COP meeting goals, uh, stakeholders uh, might be expecting certain results. So nations uh, enhancing their nationally uh, determined contributions, or NDCs, uh, to meet the Paris Agreement of 1.5 degrees Celsius warming target you know, there is a challenge in meeting that target. And, you know, a revisit by the code of COP28, you know, is uh, what will happen this year. Um, Second is financial support uh, to poorer nations to accelerate climate action. And a third is a revisit uh, of carbon markets and pricing, essentially through refinement of the Paris Agreement, Article 6, which uh, refers to this, to help nations reach their in DCs via market-based measures. And then last but not least is really engaging non-state actors, which is a very important point. I think strengthening the role of cities, uh, municipalities, regions, enterprises, and the civil society at large in global climate action is of paramount importance. And that's an expectation I think many stakeholders share.
0: Absolutely, very, very important. Looking at it from a different angle, from an industry angle, you lead energy and chemicals, of course, So, we know in the region there's a lot of great strides towards initiatives which are sustainable, solar, wind, uh, many different initiatives. How do you feel that COP might accelerate these initiatives given it's in the region?
1: So what comes to mind here is a number of points really. So one is financial mechanisms, perhaps new financing mechanisms, increased financial commitment to the sector and to the players whereby Western countries might help Middle Eastern states invest more in renewable energy projects. Second would be technology transfer and agreements to transfer uh, cutting edge renewable technology as an example to underdeveloped nations might help the Middle East adopt more efficient energy solutions. And third would be capacity uh, building. Just imagine the amount of training uh, an experience that we need here when it comes to renewable projects, design, execution, and maintenance that we one can benefit from.
0: I think it's very important that the different players in the ecosystem work together to really bring a sustainable and uh, successful outcome and accelerate our journey as well. Linking to that then, one of the players in the ecosystem, governments and regulators, do you feel that regulation is a key driver in accelerating the
1: journey? So regulations has been uh, a very significant driver uh, in decision making regarding renewable energy, and that's really across the world. The extent that it influences varies from one country to another, from one region to another, depending on the specific economic, environmental, societal, and political context. There are several ways. Uh, in which regulations have really played a critical role in shaping renewable energy landscape. Right. If you take the feed and tariffs, uh, in tariffs, as an abbreviated FITs, these are fixed rates that get paid to renewable energy producers for electricity. They generate and feed into the grid. The FITs have been instrumental in accelerating renewable energy adoption in countries like Germany, Jordan, Saudi Arabia as well, uh, to mention a few. Take standards and codes. Yeah. Building codes, energy efficiency... Standards and equipment standards have incentivized the integration of renewable energy technologies. And I'll give you an example. You know, some building codes might require solar ready rooftops. And so uh, that's an important uh, contribution of regulation into that space. Perhaps my last point would be around incentives and subsidies. And we've seen the impact of tax incentives, uh, tax breaks, you know, grants, subsidies that promote the adoption of, of renewable energy.
0: So on the flip side, Salam, you know, you lead the energy and chemical sector. So we've talked about government and we've talked about regulators. What are you seeing in companies around the region? What are they doing which is maybe innovative and which is taking us forward to a low carbon or indeed carbon neutral future?
1: Well, some of the prominent and innovative ways organizations in these industries have been transitioning into, you know, revolve around carbon capture and storage. There's the hydrogen economy. What many companies are considering this, and we've had examples in, in, in Saudi, in Oman, in UAE, where companies are producing fertilizers that are um, uh, carbon free right. essentially, and some, some shipments have been exported to Japan and to Germany in recent weeks. the move to liquid to chemicals as an example, whereby you don't produce crude to to burn it into fuels or to, to manufacture it into fuels, but actually to uh, to manufacture chemicals so that gives you a much smaller a carbon footprint, right. while actually gives you a much higher margin. The idea here is that the transition to a low-carbon or carbon-neutral future is a multifaceted exercise and requires a combination of technology, innovation, policy support, and supporting market dynamics, really. Right.
0: You talk about things being multifaceted. You know, there's societies, there's businesses, there's governments all in the ecosystem trying to go to a successful outcome towards sustainability and um, a net zero future what advice would you give to business leaders to move towards that journey
1: i would say adopt a holistic and a long-term vision to right. sustainability that's very important do engrave it into the culture of, of your organization included in your business strategy and in the operational makeup of your organization it does really require an overarching commitment Uh, not just isolated initiatives. So it's a long-term play. Yeah. Um, One needs to remain adaptable though, since sustainability really is a very dynamic domain now and and many developments are yet uh, to be seen and some of them are really underway, but so much is in the future. So remain adaptable, that would be my advice.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you for watching. Keep an eye out for our next episode and for more insights, please subscribe to the Deloitte Sustainability Regulation Hub in the link below.